Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired by a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we speak with musician Jack Hughes of the English dance pop band Wang Chung about the band's contribution to soundtracks like The Breakfast Club and To Live and Die in L.A., as well as their new album with the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra, Orchiscography. new wave dance pop band Wang Chung formed in 1980 and rode a wave of success in the mid-80s with such hits as Dance All Days, Everybody Have Fun Tonight, and Let's Go, along with the soundtrack to William Friedkin's 1986 crime thriller To Live and Die in L.A., as well as Fire in the Twilight from the soundtrack to The Breakfast Club. In the decades since, the band's music has become synonymous with the 80s and featured in dozens of films and TV shows. This Friday, May 10th, Wang Chung releases Orchiscography, which sees original members Jack Hughes and Nick Feldman recording reimagined versions of their classic cuts with the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra. I spoke with Jack Hughes by phone about all of this and more. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Sure. Not a problem. Yeah. Whereabouts are you? I am in Lawrence, Kansas, in the Kansas. Dead, right. okay. dead smack in the middle of the United States. It sure is. Yes. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> well, I remember Kansas City. Anyway. Yeah. How long has it been since Wang Chung has toured the United States? Well, uh, we started doing... Um, sort of like 80s retrospective tours uh, again we, we were doing them in 2009 through to about 2013 uh, and then um, Nick has continued to do them but I've sort of uh, pulled out of them uh, partly because of sort of personal circumstances and um, and just because uh, I, I found the traveling pretty sort of uh, wearisome you know and uh, but uh, we're going to be doing some more um, I think we're going to be doing some more this year but I'm not sure quite what the details are so like the it's it's interesting that you mention like the the sort of 80s retro tours it yes. seems like Wang Chung's music has in like TV shows and movies become like this uh shorthand for like uh like setting a, a time and a place yeah. by by using uh something like dance hall days or everybody have fun tonight yes. w- what's that kind of 
like? I mean, I assume you you know when your music is being used, but do you ever happen to come across it while watching television or at the cinema? It it, it has happened, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Shorthand is a good word, you know. For us. And I guess you know, back in the eighties, our because our music was on MTV in heavy rotation, as it were. Um, you know, a lot of people really it's sort of ingrained in the consciousness. Um, and so as soon as you hear any little snippet of it, you immediately are back in that time. You know. Now, I mean, you had your, your music featured in, in films, uh, yeah. like, um, you were, you were, you had your music, uh, in, in bachelor party very early on. Um, yeah. uh, and like the breakfast club <laughs> and the sure thing and, uh, inner space, which I find just, very very strange yeah, <laughs> like the yeah. soundtrack to that film is a collection of artists i would not have expected for a, a sci-fi comedy sure. sure um like so what's what's been your I- experience i know um like your songs are usually licensed but like what's sort of been your experience like creating original music such as to live and die in la or your work specifically for uh, William Friedkin's The Guardian? Yeah. Well, those were uh, really great projects, you know, and uh, of a completely different order from just having a song in a movie, you know. So um, To Live and Die in LA in particular was uh, something very special, and I I think some of our best work, really, you know. uh, It was very spontaneous. Um, The way that we did the soundtrack was... um, you know, I had this conversation with Freakin. I think <clears throat> to try and get it in perspective, uh, um, with Wang Chung, we had done uh, the, the first of the Geffen albums, you know, with Dance All Days on it. And we were trying to sort of uh, follow up Dance All Days with Dance All Days Part 2, or at least that's what the record company <laughs> wanted us to do. <laughs> but we were sort of writing all kinds of eclectic stuff, as we tended to do. You know? uh, but things sort of ran into the ground a bit, really, on that on that project. you know. And so we were about to sort of take some time out, and uh, we got a call, or rather I got a call from Bill Freakin, uh, just really out of the blue. you know. And I think that what had happened was that I think that he was working maybe with a, a sort of Hollywood type composer and it really wasn't working out but that he got hold of our points on the curve album and there was a track on it called wait which he loved and he was using that as the sort of temp track to watch the rushes of the movie that he was shooting which was to live and die in LA um, he was using that music to sort of underscore what they were watching and I think it just became part of his the way he saw the film you know so um, I had this sort of bizarre conversation with him in a way in, in that we talked for about an hour uh, i had a sense of who he was you know but there was there was no kind of introduction as it were he just called me out of the blue as i say and we had this conversation and he talked about the movie he was doing and he talked about this track weight and uh he sort of basically said you know i'm jack i want you and your band to go into the studio and just lay down an hour's worth of music and i'll cut it into my movie and, uh, so, uh, I, well, it, what, what a great opportunity, you know. I mean, little did he know that me and my band was me and Nick, <laughs> basically, <laughs> in a drum machine, you know. Um, but it was really freeing, you know, as, a, as an experience. Uh, I had a song that I was working on that I, that I was trying to compress into a hit single in inverted commas, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that 
piece actually became the sort of backbone of the soundtrack. Instead of compressing it, I expanded it, and uh, that became City of the Angels, you know. And uh, and I had a few pieces lying around, and um, uh, we basically had a week to record this soundtrack because Geffen were not super keen on us taking our eye off the ball in terms of, you know, writing a hit single. But uh, as it turned out, it was the best thing we could have done, I think, to relieve that pressure, you know, and uh, and do something so completely different. So were you aware of what uh, were were you aware of like what the film was about or was it just sort of like go make music? Yeah, I, I was aware of kind of what it what it was about. You know, he did talk to me about the plot and uh, you know the two detectives. Uh, I think he knew the guy who'd written the book, so I think they were sort of working on it. You know, and as often with freaking films, there's a kind of they're not exactly true stories, but they're based on. Uh, real life events, you know, and uh, so I think Freakin was talking about that. You know, when when you sort of speak with him, and uh, you know, I spent quite a lot of time with Billy over the years, and you know, uh, you know, he's a very sort of uh, compelling speaker, and uh, you know, he has great stories, and uh, and he certainly you know knows how to inspire his uh, his musicians and his actors. You know, he's he's great. What I'm also curious about is sort of the one of the the few sort of um, B sides you have in film is Fire in the Twilight from the Breakfast Club, and oh, yeah. I, I, I've I've wondered like where was that track um, left from the recording for other albums or was that something that you had put together specifically for that film? Yeah. Uh, it was, um, actually written by, uh, a guy called, uh, Steve Schiff. And, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, but it was, Oh, I guess it was, um, uh, Keith Fawcett actually, uh, who was Billy Idol's producer mm. at the time and a uh, great drummer. And he was really sort of masterminding the whole Breakfast Club soundtrack project, you know, and um, like a good businessman, you know, he was <laughs> writing songs, uh, <laughs> recording the bands and, uh, you know, generally uh, getting his finger in as many pies as possible, you know. But uh, yeah, so they came up with this song and uh, Nick and I were sort of into the song, but uh, I wanted to. Uh, for better or worse, I wanted to change the lyrics, and I think we sort of changed a middle eight or something like that. So we sort of uh, tried to make it a little more our own, you know, rather than just doing a straight cover. Uh, so Breakfast Club um, and uh, Fire in the Twilight, that that was specifically written for the movie, really. No, it's it, it's interesting be, because um, I, I spoke with um one of the members uh jim care one of the members of simple minds and they said uh, about their song from the breakfast club soundtrack and yeah it was it was a similar situation where they were like brought in and it's like but we have this song we'd like to (laughs) for you to record um which seems like a very like interesting uh way of of putting together a soundtrack yeah yeah I mean, it's kind of unusual, you know, uh, 
and uh, yeah, quite old school in a way, you know, to be sort of you know writing the songs and then bringing artists in to do that, do it, you know. But um, yeah, Breakfast Club's a really well, as you as you know, it's a really interesting movie at all sorts of levels, you know, very kind of uh, groundbreaking in its way, and uh, and that, that approach of the soundtrack really worked at that time. And I remember the session, you know, being a really kind of uh, you know, I was used to working. In uh, like on the points on the curve album, we we recorded that in Abbey Road and mm. took months over it, you know. And it was a very meticulous process, and being in the studio was very sort of quiet and focused, you know. Uh, whereas working with Keith Forsey it was very much more rock and roll and sort of like you know the band in the studio doing takes and um, you know it was. Uh, you know, much more spontaneous, and he had a completely different way of working. But but that was really great for us. You know? And uh, uh, I was reflecting uh, in another interview actually on you know how many times we got to work with great musicians in LA and different kinds of musicians. And uh, uh, it was a very very kind of a fertile period, you know, for, for talent and people who were doing great things in the business. So, like, uh, your your publicist forwarded me over this story about recording points on the curve in, in, in specifically like dance all days uh the the bass on that song was oh. lent you by paul mccartney that, that was correct yes yeah what was happening was we'd done most of the album at uh, abbey road uh but the um you know Geffen, uh, John Kolodner, our A&R guy in particular, uh, was kind of like, we need something else on this track, you know. Like, I think they just wanted to exhaust all the possibilities or make sure we were exhausted by the <laughs> possibilities, you know. Uh, so we spent a couple of days in Air Studios, which at that time was in Oxford Street in London. I don't know if you know London, but that's about as central as you could get, mm. you know. And uh, it was owned by George Martin at the time. And Paul McCartney was recording in the in the studio too or maybe we were in studio two and he was in one or whatever but uh anyway uh it came up you know that we should maybe look at the bass and nick didn't have his bass with him so i rather jokingly said well maybe we could borrow one of paul's you know given that they're both left-handed bass players you know not thinking anything of it um, <laughs> but uh uh, during the afternoon, the door of our studio opened and McCartney walked in and walked straight up to me, actually, and said, mm -hmm. was it you who wanted to borrow the bass? And I was just speechless, do you know what I mean? Because he was like my absolute idol when I was a kid growing up. And uh, it's one of the uh, few times I was completely lost for words. <laughs> it was an amazing <laughs> experience. But, uh, yeah, Nick thinks that um, some something rubbed off of his bass and uh, gave us a hit, you know. So... <laughs> so the the what the reason we're, we're we're speaking right now is that you have a a new album on on the way in yeah. may uh with symphonic uh touches added to your tracks um recorded with the prague philharmonic orchestra who I think uh, appropriately enough, considering how much we're talking soundtracks are, are very yeah. well known for their re-recordings of uh, film scores. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm curious it's as to the sort of Prague symphony orchestra actually, rather than the philharmonic, but, yeah. uh, but it is the orchestra that does all the film scores. And uh, yeah. How did, how did this project come to be? Uh, really came through um, John Bryan and he kind of contacted us uh, again out of the blue, really, you know, uh, he'd done an album with flock of seagulls mm. and uh, we had a meeting with him in uh, London in, uh, yeah, 
sort of hipstery part of London. <laughs> and he was, uh, I think, sort of checking me and Nick out. Do you know what I mean? And I could see he was really a little kind of like, you know, is this going to work with these guys? You know? But in the end, I think, uh, you know, he was a fan. I think he's one of these guys who sort of just gets these uh, intuitive ideas, you know, he sort of loved Wang Chung back in the 80s, the music's always been with him, he was like, yeah, let's just do it, you know, so it went from doing just like maybe a couple of tracks to doing the whole album, you know, and uh, he suggested us doing uh, not just the hits, but also some of the less well-known stuff as well, you know, so uh, we, we have actually... Um, you know, re-recorded everything really. Uh, so it's not like just, uh, as, you, as you're saying, sort of symphonic touches. It's really kind of reworking the songs and uh, really trying to bring the orchestra into the centre of the picture, as opposed to it just being a sort of expensive decoration. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've I've heard the 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 single, the Dance Hall Days uh, okay. reinterpretation, and it's. It's so it, – it's exactly as you say. It's not just you playing on top of a symphonic recording. It's – the arrangements are different and it has this sort of – it just sounds bigger. Yes, it certainly is bigger. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of – we try to sort of uh, – you know, I mean – going to say the, the the standard kind of model for doing these sort of arrangements is is to kind of employ the techniques of a hollywood film score you know that sort of orchestration you know but i was trying to get the uh, arranger to think more in terms of stravinsky and mm. less in terms of john williams you know so it's a little <laughs> bit leaner a bit more concentrating on the woodwind sounds and stuff you know and i think dance for days has benefited from that you know i mean certain tracks you you have to sort of ride the horse the way it's going you know and uh, turn the strings up you know but uh, uh there's a couple of tracks where we've just really tried to uh you know use the orchestra in a, in a sort of creative way you know rather than just making it sound like an expensive synthesizer what, uh, what's a what's a track that you can point to where that really comes through um yeah that's a good uh, question. Well, I guess To Live and Die in L.A. Mm. is uh, where we're sort of trying to uh, make it almost wholly orchestral, that track, and trying to get the, you know, the little motif in that song that goes diddle up mm. at the beginning, you know, uh, just trying to get that played on sort of flutes and piccolos and stuff to try and get a, like a yeah, a sort of Stravinsky and sound out of it. You know? At the moment, we're not really succeeding very well, but <laughs> so I'm not quite sure where that's going to go. Uh, but the whole idea with that track is to try and, make it uh, very focused on the orchestra so um like how long how long was the recording process and like arranging and all of that how long did that take well john works everything pretty hard you know so we we worked with an arranger who he uses uh but it, it, the arranging um you know basically the arranger would work on a track and send us a kind of mock-up of how it was going to sound, you know, using samples and stuff. And of course, these days the samples are pretty good, you know, so you get a quite an accurate sense of how things are going to sound. Uh, and then the actual recording with the orchestra, I think they had a couple of days uh, working with the, the brass and woodwinds. And then we were there on the day when they did the strings and, uh, and some brass overdubs and stuff, you know. So I think they try and get the orchestra done as, because it's so expensive, you know, obviously they try and get the orchestra done as quickly as possible. You know? So, um, what are the, the plans, uh, once the album is released? I know you talked about the possibility of touring. Is there the possibility of like a live version of this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some bands who have been making these sorts of albums and then 
uh, you know, basically you can rock up in a town that's got a symphony orchestra mm-hmm. and give them the parts. And, you know, these guys are all great sight readers, you know, so as long as the parts work, if you know what I mean, um, you, you can pretty much uh, uh, perform these uh, these arrangements, you know, uh, with a couple of rehearsals, I would think. So, yeah, I, I would love to do some gigs in the summer, if possible, or maybe a bit later on, you know, um, utilizing the, the the orchestral stuff. You know. uh, that, that would be really fun. Wonderful. Well, sir, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I so appreciate it. This has been a real pleasure. It's a pleasure, Nick. Thanks, thanks for taking the time to, to talk to me. Jack Hughes for speaking with me. You can find more information about Wang Chung on Facebook and Twitter at Wang Chung Band, as well as at the band's website, wangchung.com. Orchiscography is out this Friday, May 10th, and you can find more information about it at augustday.net. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromaninspiredpod. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and Stitcher as well. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks talking about the indie sci-fi weirdness of Relaxer with Alan Palomo of Neon Indian. Until then, thanks for listening. 